Greetings, listeners. You have found hope. This is the Bridge to Hope podcast, Finding Hope. I'm Coltra. And this is Alyssa. Today, we have an episode filled with pride. But before we get into that, we want to thank Gary again for his wisdom he shared in our last episode on mental health. Thank you, Gary. This is an episode we talk about LGBTQ plus issues with our sexual assault and campus advocate, Kat. Let's get into it. Hi, Kat. Can you explain your role at the Bridge to Hope for us? Absolutely. So I am the sexual assault victim advocate here at the Bridge to Hope. My pronouns are she, her, or they, there, and my primary focus is on working with college students. I typically split my time between our main office and the UW-Stout campus, where I have an office in Price Commons. Um, I'm not employed through the university, but the Bridge has been lucky to have a solid connection with the campus and their staff and their resources. So we were able to develop a MOU, and we've been able to have an advocate available on campus who happens to be me. I feel like I really hit the jackpot with the location of my campus office because it's in a common area, but it's tucked away, which makes it pretty inconspicuous. So if somebody's going into Price Commons, it's not obvious that they're coming to talk to an advocate. When a student comes to my office, my job is first and foremost to offer a listening ear. A lot of people haven't had an opportunity to share their story, or maybe they weren't believed or were punished for coming forward. So I think it's really valuable for survivors to have that space to speak and be heard and believed. Once I've had the opportunity to hear a little bit about their experiences, I usually will go over kind of what options are available to them and allow them to decide kind of what direction they'd like to go. Some people want to report to law enforcement, some want to have medical forensic exams or a SANE exam. And on campus, some survivors might wish to make a Title IX report, maybe talk to the dean of students about having their class schedule or living arrangements adjusted. Maybe they want to put a no contact order in place, whatever it might be. We just kind of go over what's available. Uh, And I let them know that I'm also willing to join them for any of those meetings, just about any appointment I'm able to make it to, if that's something that they'd like. I want to be as much of a support to these people as I can and uh, provide whatever assistance they need since it can be really overwhelming to jump into all of that on your own, especially while you're in the process of recovering from trauma. Um, my office at Stout is just down the hall from the Cube, which is UW Stout's LGBTQIA resource center. And I feel really lucky to have an office so near um, to this resource. I feel really at home there. I try to partner with them whenever I can. College students already face elevated rates of sexual assault, and members of the LGBTQIA community often face increased rates of violence, including sexual violence, too. So I think it's important to make sure that students and other survivors in the LGBTQIA community know that they are seen and believed and that they have people on their side who understand what they're going through and are available to offer additional support when they're ready. What is Pride Month and why is it so important? So Pride Month celebrations as we know them now actually evolved out of the Stonewall Riots. They took place in New York in June of 1969 in response to the raiding of the Stonewall Inn by police in Greenwich Village. And this was a really popular gathering place for LGBTQ folks at the time. Uh, And these riots in history have been widely considered a significant turning point in the fight for LGBTQ plus rights and liberation in the United States. Um, And, you know, at the time, LGBTQIA plus folks were living 
under really extremely repressive conditions. The first Pride March um, was called Christopher Street Liberation Day, and it was held on June 28th in 1970, which was the one-year anniversary of the Stonewall Riots. Pride marches started growing in popularity each year since then, and what started as kind of a grassroots movement, um, these marches eventually became the Pride celebrations that we see now. While it's definitely encouraging and inspiring to see all the progress that the communities made throughout history, there's no doubt that there's more work to be done, and lots of it. Yes, celebrate, please. We deserve an opportunity to be seen and to be heard and to celebrate who we are and what we've overcome to gather as a community and embrace that sense of belonging and shared understanding. But I think it's also really important for us to remember the roots of Pride celebrations and why we're taking this month to commemorate our past, present, and future as LGBTQIA plus folks and allies. Um, LGBTQIA plus folks have faced a long history of violence and hate, and we still continue to. It's not an easy pill to swallow, and I understand why some people would prefer to ignore that and sweep it under the rug because it is heavy, but we can't allow ourselves to get so wrapped up in these tidy, palatable, commercial ideas of what pride is that we lose sight of what it all means and what we're here for. We're still fighting oppressive discriminatory legislation. Um, We're still fighting for our rights to be accepted and embraced by society as our authentic selves, and the fight is far from over. So what exactly does it mean to be LGBTQ? What do all these letters mean? What does the plus sign stand for? Great question with a not-so-simple answer. Uh, There's really no one single way to be LGBTQ. The experience is so deeply unique and individual, and no two people are going to experience the same story. You know, no two people are going to feel the same way. And, um, you know, there's some overlap sometimes and people have similarities, but it really is an individual experience. As for explaining the acronym, I think I can give a more straightforward answer there. Maybe. Okay. You ready? I'm going to take it from the top. L stands for lesbian, meaning women who are attracted to other women. Gay is for gay, meaning somebody who's attracted to others of the same sex or gender. Sometimes lesbians even prefer to use the term gay instead, but it's really up to what an individual is most comfortable with. B is for bisexual. A lot of people think that bisexual means to be attracted to men and women, um, but it's more accurate to say that bisexual means to be attracted to people of your own gender and to people of different genders. Bisexual doesn't have to exclude trans and non-binary people. That would be icky. (laughs) T stands for transgender, which is often shortened to trans. Um, This is an umbrella term that encompasses those whose gender identity is different from the gender that they were assigned at birth. Um, The Q can stand for both queer and questioning. Queer is another umbrella term which is used to describe somebody whose sexual orientation is something other than heterosexual or straight. Some people use this term instead of some of the other letters in the acronym, the LGB. They sometimes feel like those terms can be really limiting or don't quite accurately represent the entirety of their identity. Sometimes Queer is applied to gender identities as well. Um, you've maybe heard terms like gender queer, where somebody's gender identity doesn't fit within a binary. And then the other cue, questioning, is used when somebody might still be exploring their identity, and they maybe haven't determined what term fits them best. There are a whole lot of other identities as well that fall under the LGBTQ plus umbrella, including intersex where somebody is born with reproductive or sexual anatomy or genetic patterns that simply can't be categorized by typical binary definitions of male or female. 
pansexual, which is attraction regardless of sex or gender, asexual, which describes a spectrum of either no or limited sexual attraction or interest. Um, and then there's a whole variety of others out there too. The, risk, the list really goes on and on. While LGBT and Q are probably some of the most commonly recognized identities, it's important to remember that there are many others and that they are equally valid and deserve the same respect. The plus is used to remind us of that and to let us know that the list goes on. Can you explain a little bit about gender binary, Kat? Indeed, the gender binary is a system that's long been used to categorize gender as either male or female. Humans tend to like putting things into these neat little boxes, even when they don't fit. And we think about a lot of things in binaries, uh, you know, black and white, good and evil, and so on. But things are seldom so simple, and thus, we need to do a better job of properly acknowledging those things that are more complex than we try to make them out to be, such as gender and even sex. Maybe I sound a little hypocritical, uh, considering this is a really oversimplified look at the gender binary, but I think it's a good place for beginners to start to learn, and um, it's a good reminder for those who are familiar as well. So we're definitely getting a bit technical here, talking about the gender binary, um, but what are the differences between sex, gender, orientation, and identity? Are there any other words that I missed that we should probably know as well? Sure, let's get a little more in depth. I know that it's a lot of information and not everybody's super familiar with it. So that's why we're here, right? People really seem to conflate sex and gender a lot, but they're really not the same thing at all. Uh, like gender, sex um, is often separated into categories of male or female. But like I mentioned before, it's really not that simple. Sex is usually determined by a combination of factors, including um, chromosomes, how genes are expressed, um, hormones, and you know primary sex characteristics as well as um, secondary sex characteristics. Primary would be the internal and external genitalia, and secondary would be things like breast tissue or facial hair, for example. Um, so like I briefly covered earlier, when these characteristics don't fit the definition of male or female, that person likely has an intersex condition. Although there might be or might not be as much discussion and awareness about intersex conditions, it's probably not as uncommon as you might think. Being born intersex is statistically as common as being born a redhead, and I bet every one of you knows a redhead. The difference between redheads and intersex people is that intersex conditions aren't visible to somebody passing by. You probably wouldn't know somebody has an intersex condition unless they disclose that to you, and they might not even be aware that they have an intersex condition at all. Some people go their whole life without even knowing. Um, it, you know, some people would have to have genetic testing to figure that out, and most of us don't do that. You know, have you ever been genetically tested? Let's move on to gender. Gender spans a broad spectrum, um, as I kind of mentioned earlier. And I can't personally know everything, but I think I can give you a pretty decent rundown, kind of a gender 101. So in essence, the concept of gender is socially constructed, and typically it's based on the um, roles and norms on kind of a spectrum of masculine and feminine. Feminine Understanding of gender can change over time, and it really differs across cultures. It's certainly not a one-size-fits-all kind of deal. And when it comes to gender, there are a few other terms we should talk about too, one being gender identity, which is a person's sense of self and their individual experience of gender. 
Because gender identity is internal, it might not be visible to others. Somebody's gender identity might not align with their sex assigned at birth, and it can develop or evolve over time. Gender expression is another term that I want to talk about, which is how a person outwardly presents aspects of their gender identity. People can express their gender through behaviors, hairstyles, um, their wardrobe, their name, their pronouns, and more. Gender expression um, might be described using terms such as masculine, feminine, androgynous, or even neutral. And one's sex or gender really have no impact on their orientation. Instead, orientation describes somebody's physical, romantic, or emotional attraction to others. So they're definitely like entirely separate things. Let's talk about pronouns. So what are they? What do they mean? And why are they important? Pronouns are something we all use, uh, the most common being they, their, them, she, her, hers, and he, him, his. We use pronouns when we're referring to people without using names. Um, sometimes uh, people have a hard time grasping the singular use of they. I know that's been something that's more widely discussed, which is a good thing, because a lot of people do use those pronouns. But it's actually probably something you're already doing. So let's say, for example, I find somebody's wallet on the ground. I might think to myself, Somebody lost their wallet. They're probably looking for it. Maybe I can find a way to get it back to them. See? So most of us already default to using they pronouns when we're talking about somebody we don't know. And I think it's important to practice doing that anytime we don't know somebody's pronouns until they specify which they use to us directly. This kind of ties into the previous question, but avoid using it or its in place of um, pronouns because that can be really dehumanizing. Pronouns are important because they affirm somebody's identity. Um, it's really validating of a person's gender when you use their pronouns correctly. It's not just the polite and respectful thing to do, but it actually creates a really healthy and welcoming environment for trans and non-binary people. And it's been shown to have a positive impact on mental health and self-esteem. So if you make a mistake and use the wrong pronoun, which it happens, um, the best way to respond to that is to give a quick sorry and correct yourself, move on, um, and just don't make a big deal of it. Practice makes perfect. Can you explain what the symbolism is um, with the rainbow flag and how does that how does that tie in with the pink triangle? Yeah, the rainbow flag is probably the most well-known symbol to represent LGBTQIA plus folks. But I know a lot of people likely aren't familiar with its history and meaning. The original flag was created by Gilbert Baker. It made its debut in 1978, and it featured eight colors. Gilbert was tasked with creating a symbol of pride for the LGBTQ plus community by Harvey Milk, who was the first openly gay elected official in California history. The design has gone through several revisions over time, and each color on the flag has a specific meaning. The original flag included a hot pink stripe representing sex as well as turquoise representing magic and art and indigo, which later became blue. From top to bottom, the flag most folks are usually familiar with consists of the colors red for life, orange for healing, yellow for sunlight, green for nature, blue for serenity, and purple for spirit. The most recent rendition of the flag features the addition of black and brown stripes to represent intersectionality, and it centers people of color in the LGBTQ plus community. And this flag's called the Philadelphia Pride flag. 
There are also plenty of other variations of the flag. Um, sometimes they might incorporate the trans pride flag colors in a little triangle on the left-hand side of the flag. And of course, there's also so many variations to represent um, differing genders and sexual orientations as well. Like each of those has their own flag too. The pink triangle has kind of a dark history. Um, for those who might not be aware, the pink triangle or originated in Nazi Germany, um, and it was used to identify LGBTQ individuals. It was one of the many badges used within concentration camps. It was sewn onto prisoners' garments to segregate them by what they'd been detained for. The badge was given to gay and bisexual men, as well as trans women, but it also was given to others who were deemed sexual deviants, which included sex offenders and pedophiles, which, as you can imagine, um, is really damaging to LGBTQ folks to be lumped in with those other categories. Despite its origins, the Pink Triangle gained some popularity in the LGBTQIA community, and it's kind of been reclaimed as a symbol of protest and resistance. Um, and this kind of started in the 70s. It's been reclaimed by many in the community ever since and has become kind of a symbol of pride instead. Historically speaking, have LGBTQIA plus people always existed? LGBTQIA plus people have always and will always exist, and that's exactly why it's important for us to continue these conversations. No matter how much hate someone harbors toward me for being queer, I will continue being queer. Not by choice, although if it were a choice, I don't think I'd have it any other way, because I like who I am, and... Being queer as, is as much a part of me as my ability to walk, or my bad eyesight, or my tendency to forget what I'm doing as soon as I stand up to go do it, or my love of my cat. Um, you know, what I'm saying here is, of course, my identity as a queer person is not the only thing that defines me, but it is deeply ingrained in me, and it plays a major role in the person I am as a whole. I think some people misunderstand the community and see those identifying as LGBTQIA+, as kind of adhering to a fad, because previous generations maybe didn't see as many openly LGBTQIA plus people. They were always, 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 always there. I promise. They probably just weren't ever given an opportunity to safely or comfortably come out. Um, I think your response to this last question really ties in well with this next one as far as being so deeply and innately queer, you know, is there a medical or behavioral way to treat somebody for being gay? Is this something um, that people try to do? Or how would somebody know or realize that they are queer? I have personally known people who have been through conversion therapy. And I would not wish that experience on anybody. It's completely rooted in the outdated and false idea that LGBTQ people are sick with some sort of ailment that can somehow be cured. Um, there have never been any credible studies that show conversion therapy to be effective in its goals of changing a person's sexual orientation or gender identity. Not one. It's incredibly damaging, and according to a peer-reviewed study that was published by The Trevor Project, LGBTQ youth who had been subjected to conversion therapy were found to be more than twice as likely to report having attempted suicide in the past year, and they are more than two and a half times as likely to have reported multiple suicide attempts in that time. So there is a huge push to ban conversion therapy, and at this point, 
There are actually no statewide protections against conversion therapy in the state of Wisconsin. If you're interested in learning more or getting involved in legislation against conversion therapy, I definitely highly recommend checking out the Trevor Project. Um, as for discovering your own identity and figuring out, you know, how do I know if I'm queer? Um, that's something I can't really answer for you because it's such a deeply unique and personal experience. Um, so yeah, hard to give a solid answer there. Some people recognize it really early in life. Others don't come to understand their identity until late adulthood. Um, there's no quiz you can take that'll tell you, oh, yep, you're totally gay. It's something that only you can figure out for yourself. And sometimes that's hard because shame and stigma cause people to repress their feelings or people think they might not be gay or transgender, etc., because they don't fall into a commonly held stereotype of those identities. So they don't recognize that within themselves. It's also hard when there's a lack of education and people aren't given the knowledge and the language to understand and talk about their experiences in order to understand their sexual orientation or gender identity. So Kat, can you tell me, does dating someone with a different sexual orientation cause you to be gay or a lesbian? And what if the person you are dating is transgender? So I identify myself as both bisexual and queer. And I think that both of these labels kind of frequently encounter this misunderstanding. Um, in my experience, people will see me as straight if I'm dating a man, or they'll see me as gay if I'm dating a woman. And the reality is that I'm still bisexual regardless of the sex or gender of my partners. I'm still queer. People also seem to get confused about how gender identity affects sexual orientation. And like I said before, it really doesn't. If a trans woman is only attracted to men, she's straight. Or if a straight man decides to date a trans woman, guess what? He's still straight because he's dating a woman. Now, that I think is probably one of the simplest things I've had to explain in this episode. So soak it in. So what are your thoughts on words like queer and other slurs that people sometimes use as put-downs? Uh, can you explain the impact of these words and if or when it is ever okay to use them? There's definitely a lot of discourse around these words. Um, and, you know, words that have historically been used as slurs that does, you know, it sticks with people and it comes from a place of hurt. Uh, these words really shouldn't be used by people who don't belong in the community and who aren't impacted by those specific words. So like, for example, a gay man can use the F slur, but it's not my place to use that word because it doesn't belong to me. A lot of slurs have been reclaimed by members of the LGBTQIA plus community, though. And, um, you know, in my experience and in, in my thoughts, I'm all for it. I think it can be really empowering to take that language that's been weaponized against your community throughout history and wield it yourself. Still, not everybody's comfortable with reclaiming slurs. And that's all right, too. I think it's just important that you make sure that you're checking with others regarding their comfort level with these things before using those words around them or in reference to them. Um, I think that, you know, some slurs are still a little more widely taboo, but queer in particular has become increasingly accepted. And though some older generations still uh, kind of disagree with this or are maybe confused by it, don't quite understand why a word that has been used in such horrific contexts has been reclaimed by the community. 
it's it's really become something bigger and it's even become part of the acronym it's that q in there and at this point i'd say it's pretty commonplace terminology can you tell me are there other words we should refrain from using language is always evolving and i appreciate when people make the effort to keep up with it in order to be more inclusive and better understand the community a lot of times people say things that are well-intended, but they don't really realize the full negative impact of their words. So let's talk about some of the terms that might be best to avoid. Homosexual might be one that surprises some people, but there's actually been kind of a shift away from this word over time because of its history of clinical connotations and the way it's been weaponized by anti-gay extremists. I feel like, um, you know, I hear the word homosexual more in the context of being derogatory than I do, than I hear it used by people within community themselves. Not everybody feels this way, though, and plenty of people identify with the word homosexual. And that's totally fine, you know, to each their own. And however you feel a word best fits you, like, that's totally okay. But it's probably best to check again with this one, um, check with somebody before using that word to describe them. Um, The words preference and lifestyle get used sometimes. And again, a lot of people don't realize that these might be harmful things to say, but these are definitely problematic because they suggest that there's a choice in being LGBTQIA+. Instead of saying sexual preference, you can say orientation, or instead of saying preferred pronouns, you can just say pronouns. Sometimes I hear people say things like transgenders or transgendered, But transgender is an adjective, meaning that it's used to describe somebody. So instead of saying that your friend is a transgender, you can say your friend is transgender. I remember uh, reading an example on the GLAAD website. That's G-L-A-A-D, if anybody's interested in checking them out. They're great. They made a point that, you know, you wouldn't say that Elton John was gayed. Um, I'm not bisexual So transgendered doesn't really make sense. It's just transgender. And in general, I think that people just uh, are really poorly educated about trans issues. So when people talk about surgery as a part of transition, and that gets brought up a lot, uh, they might call it sex change, or they might refer to somebody as pre-op or post-op. But uh, this very often overlooks people who opt not to include surgery as part of their transition. Uh, transitioning is going to look different from person to person, and not every trans person is going to have access to or even want surgery. Some people might go through surgery. Um, They might go through hormone therapy, maybe change their wardrobe and start using a new name and different pronouns. Maybe they do all of these things. Maybe they only do some of these things, and maybe they do none. And you know what? Doesn't make them any less trans. Similarly, the word transsexual might not be appropriate to use either. A lot of people will prefer the word transgender or trans. Um, And although transsexual is still used by some, and that's perfectly fine um, for the people who do identify that way, it is another term that's often linked to outdated medical terminology and practices, and it can really further emphasize that idea that surgery is a necessary part of transition when it's really not. Other terms that I hear a lot are biologically or genetically male or female. People sometimes will say that a trans person was born a man or born a woman. The widely accepted terms here would be assigned male at birth or assigned female at birth. Sometimes these are shortened to 
AMAB, A-M-A-B, or AFAB, A-F-A-B. Gender and sex, like we said before, they're not so simple, and this language overlooks a lot of the important factors that determine a person's sex and gender. And it also definitely excludes intersex folks. Speaking of that, there seems to be some confusion about what intersex conditions even are, or really how to talk about them. The word hermaphrodite is really icky and outdated, and uh, it's an incorrect term, really, that sometimes people will mistakenly use when they're talking about intersex people. The appropriate term is just intersex. One more thanks for hanging with me on all this negative stuff, (laughs) but it's important to know. One more that came to mind was um, the word passing. Again, you know, people might not be ill-intentioned when they use these words, but Somebody might say that a trans person is passing, meaning that they're fitting the expectations of their gender as society sees it, or that they're perceived as being the gender they identify with. The problem with this term is that it conforms to binary roles and expectations of gender, and it implies that trans people are being, you know, maybe deceitful or misleading when they're really just being their authentic selves. The term passing can have a place among people within the trans community, You know, some people might use it to describe themselves, but it's really not up to me or anybody to determine who is or is not trans enough. And, you know, again, take take this as you will. I'm not the authority on all LGBTQIA plus people. Um, These are just kind of my thoughts on it. And if if you have any other thoughts, feel free to reach out to me and let me know. But um, in general, this is just kind of what I've gathered from the community. How can somebody support another person who is nervous about coming out, um, especially when maybe they don't have the most supportive family? Coming out even to supportive family and friends can be really difficult. I knew my parents would still love and support me, but it took me until I was almost finished with college to finally tell them because it's scary. You know, the way that queer people are perceived and... um, represented in society makes that really difficult. Um, There's always that worry that disclosing your orientation or your identity will change things or it might make life more difficult. And for some people, that's an unfortunate reality. Although coming out can be a really powerful experience, I don't encourage people to come out in a space where it won't be safe for them. I don't want them to have to bottle that up as a secret either. And I'd hope that they would have at least one person, you know, a friend, a trusted adult, maybe a teacher or a coach, somebody who they feel comfortable coming out to because, um, you know, that can be a big weight off your shoulders. It's not a bad and dirty secret that you have to keep. It's it's a part of who you are. It's your authentic self. So I, I don't wish for anybody to have to keep that bottled up. For those who don't have that person in their life or don't know who they'd be safe disclosing to, I will always, always, always be willing to listen and to offer support to somebody who needs it. No questions asked. And I'm sure that there are many others in this organization who feel the same way. We try to be a really safe and inclusive space for all people. And I I want this to be a safe place for people to come out and to share their experiences. And if you need support, Hopefully we can point you in the right direction. What is homophobia and transphobia? And why is it so harmful to someone who identifies that way? 
Homophobia is prejudice, hate, and even violence against people whose sexual orientations are anything other than heterosexual. And transphobia is the same thing, but against people who are not cisgender, cis meaning the opposite of trans. Homophobia and transphobia have devastating impacts on the LGBTQIA community. And when homophobic and transphobic attitudes are supported and upheld, they not only impact people individually, but that seeps into policy and into the legal system, which creates a hostile environment toward LGBTQIA people. And it'll end up implementing oppressive laws that suppress the rights of many, many people. On an individual level, it can be detrimental to a person's sense of self-worth, their safety, their health, their overall well-being. So what are the different ways that we see homophobia, transphobia, and hate, uh, both in overt and in quieter ways? So again, with homophobia and transphobia, it might not be an obvious or a malicious attack, but there's a lot of homophobia and transphobia in this world. I could probably do an entire separate episode just talking about this, or well, actually could probably do another episode talking about each of these topics individually, because the list really goes on and on. It manifests in so many different ways. Um, you know, this could be feelings of disgust or discomfort seeing same-sex couples express affection, or it could be wondering or asking about a trans person's genitals. There's even microaggressions like, oh, it would be so much easier if I were just a lesbian, or, you know, I couldn't even tell you were trans because your makeup is even better than mine. Things that people maybe don't realize are... Um, as harmful as they really are. Our culture has produced a lot of homophobic and transphobic media. Consistently gay people and trans people have been made the butt of the joke in sitcoms and in movies and in in really all media, honestly. Or, you know, a lot of TV shows and movies will give LGBTQI plus characters this tragic backstory and it's hard to find accurate and positive uplifting representation of LGBTQ plus people in media, which um, it's really hard, especially on young people who are looking for um, people like themselves represented in what they see. There are so many stereotypes of LGBTQIA plus people, um, and they put these, they put people in these small limiting boxes And that shows up in our communities, too. I'll never forget being in church in my early teen years, and I heard the pastor say that the church would, in his words, tolerate but never celebrate the LGBTQIA plus community. And that has stuck with me all these years. Why should I simply be tolerated? You know, surely I'm more than just tolerable. Tolerable sounds like you're begrudgingly putting up with me, not accepting me, which is why I'm personally not a big fan of the word tolerance. Like I said earlier, all these attitudes end up impacting policy and creating and upholding legislation that massively impacts LGBTQIA people, and it can even put our lives in danger. I think we're all on the same page here, but for any of those who are still holding out, Is there any reason whatsoever that being gay, lesbian, trans, queer, etc. is dangerous? I think I can make this answer short and sweet for you. Absolutely not. Being a part of the LGBTQIA plus community doesn't make somebody a danger or a predator, period. 
Gender and sexuality have no impact on a person's moral compass, and that's a fact. So on the same note, can any proximity to LGBTQIA um, people make somebody else gay? Is there any danger of proximity to children? I had zero openly queer women in my life growing up that I knew of, and I still turned out this way. Surprise! Um, and if that were true, I'd probably have more luck dating in rural Wisconsin. I might not be having such a hard time finding others in the LGBTQ community if simply being near me turned them gay. But it doesn't work that way. It's never worked that way. Like it or not, some kids are going to grow up and discover they identify somewhere under the LGBTQIA plus umbrella. And representation, like I mentioned before, representation of people like them, especially adults, it doesn't hurt kids. It helps them. Representation of people who have different experiences than our own matters too. And it's helpful for us to be able to learn from and understand each other in that way. What is the Bridge to Hope doing for Pride Month? How does the Bridge to Hope support the LGBTQIA community? So we've recently started a monthly online book club through Facebook, and our book selection for the month of June will be themed around Pride. LGBTQIA plus literature is a really great way to continue to inform yourself about the community, and having a group discussion with it is a bonus. So if you're interested in joining, check out our Facebook group, Books with the Bridge. You can find it at www.facebook.com slash groups slash Books with the Bridge to Hope. When you're there, you can click the join button if that's something you're interested in. Anybody's welcome to join. Just be aware that we will sometimes be reading books that have heavy or potentially triggering material, given the nature of our agency. But I'm trying to include some lighter and uplifting books in the lineup, too. Plus, it's really laid back and we don't require people to commit to specific meeting dates and times. Um, so it's a really good option for people who might have a tight schedule and are interested in joining a book club that's pretty low pressure. There will also be a community picnic in celebration of Pride Month on Sunday, June 6th at 1 o'clock p.m. over at Wilson Park in Menominee. We aren't hosting it, but I still wanted to plug it because it sounds like a really great way for our small community to get together and to show our love for LGBTQ folks locally. Food and beverages are going to be provided, and so all you really need to do is just show up. Um, how can individuals be better allies? More than anything, keeping yourself educated and informed is key, in my opinion. If you've made it through my rambling, first of all, congratulations, but also... Thanks for listening to me and taking the time out of your day to hopefully learn something from this too. Um, keep reading, watching, listening, discovering resources that you can learn from. Also, I think it's important to address homophobic and transphobic comments and jokes that you might hear. If you're in a position of privilege, please use that to speak up and out and to make change. Engage your family, friends, and peers in discussions about LGBTQIA issues and educate one another. You can write to your representatives to push for legislation that will protect LGBTQIA plus folks. Um, and just let people know where you stand. Be vocal and let LGBTQIA plus people know if you're a safe and supportive person in their life. You can also, you know, make a difference by supporting LGBTQIA plus artists, small businesses and organizations. There are really so many things that you can do as an individual 
and as an ally to make positive change, even though I know that the broad picture is kind of big and daunting. You matter and you can make a difference. Are there any specific resources you want to share with us today? Yeah, I can think of a couple. Um, one would be the Chippewa Valley LGBTQ Plus Center. Um, it's a wonderful organization based out of Eau Claire, and they offer a lot of really great resources, including support groups. They have a podcast, too. Um, they host a lot of events and have been willing to collaborate with us, too, which is just wonderful. Their staff is super friendly and welcoming. Um, so go ahead and check them out. You can find them at, at cvlgbt.org. Um, the Cube is the LGBTQIA plus resource center over at UW-Stout. Uh, I mentioned earlier that my office is right down the hall from them. Although they're located on campus, they're a really great resources for the greater community, and I highly recommend checking them out and utilizing their services, even if you're not a student. Diverse and Resilient is an organization based out of Milwaukee. They're committed to eliminating the disparities LGBTQIA plus people face by addressing discrimination and kind of fostering a safe and supportive environment for people to be able to thrive. They've been a really great help to myself and to our agency, and they've always been willing to connect us to necessary resources and um, get people the support they need. So I also recommend checking them out. And a little self-plug, I host a group with Angie, who was previously interviewed on this podcast. Go check hers out as well. She's wonderful. I love her. But Angie and I host a group called LGBTQ Plus Connections, which is a community building group here in Menominee. It's been put on hold temporarily because of the pandemic, but uh, fingers crossed, we're hoping that we'll be able to get it up and running again soon. So feel free to shoot us any questions. Last, I want to spotlight one more resource, the Trevor Project. I talked about some of the fantastic resources out there locally, but beyond that, the Trevor Project is... Uh, really important because they offer a 24-hour crisis hotline for LGBTQ youth, and it's completely free and confidential. I think that's something our agency offers is a free and confidential hotline for different reasons, but I do think that that is a wonderful resource for people who maybe don't have the support in the home or in their friend groups or in their personal lives. Or, you know, somebody who just maybe needs an unbiased listening ear. Sometimes it's easier to talk to a stranger about what you're going through. As strange as that might sound to some people, it's sometimes easier to talk to a stranger about some of the hard things in life and to get another opinion outside of what you're used to. So if you're ever looking for another great resource that is goes beyond what is available locally, definitely check them out. Was there anything else that you wanted to add or say? When we talked about the meaning of the stripes in the pride flag, I briefly mentioned the Philadelphia pride flag, which includes black and brown stripes. Uh, I kind of want to come back to this for a minute before we wrap things up, because I want to highlight how important it is to acknowledge the contributions of black and brown LGBTQIA folks in the fight for liberation. The impact of their efforts have been monumental, despite that they've often been overlooked throughout history. Truly, liberation can never be achieved if we aren't taking intersectionality into account. I also want to thank you both for inviting me here today to talk about this. As I mentioned before, I think the key to creating a safer, healthier world for LGBTQIA plus people is to continue having these conversations and hearing firsthand experiences from people in the community 
really benefits us. Also, happy Pride Month to everybody. No matter your sexual orientation, your gender identity, whether you've come out or haven't shared your experiences with the world just yet, you are valid and you are important. And I'm glad that you're here from the bottom of my heart. So Kat, you hear a lot of people's stories and it just sounds like you're super busy at the bridge here. So how do you practice self-care? That is a fantastic question, and I appreciate you for taking the time to acknowledge the importance of self-care. It's something I am personally trying to be more conscious of for myself. Lately, I've been trying to take more time away from social media and television. Not that technology is evil, because I definitely <laughs> I definitely indulge in that a lot and love it. But, you know, sometimes it's good to take a break from that. And I've been trying to embark on more creative expeditions. I love making things. Um, art is really therapeutic to me. And sometimes, or maybe I should say more often than not, I have to kind of force myself to get up and just start doing. I don't necessarily need to have a goal in mind. You know, my to-do list is already overwhelming. I don't need to add to it. So sometimes I try to just let my brain and my hands take me where they want to. Not every piece of art is going to be perfect either. Um, you know, I don't think it'd exactly be self-care if I were putting that kind of pressure on myself. I'm just trying to unwind and to not take things so seriously when I don't need to. And maybe I make something cool and learn something new in the process. I've also been putting more time aside to read or just snuggle up with my cat, Dougie, and, um, you know, try to have absolutely nothing else going on. It's okay to step away from stress sometimes. Come back to it when you're ready. At this point, we'd like to give a really big thank you to Kat. Uh, I think we learned a lot from her, and she really helped put a lot of things in perspective as far as how hard it can be to be queer in whatever term that means for you, uh, but also how much the general public really doesn't know or understand about LGBTQ plus issues. So thank you, Kat. We appreciate your knowledge and your wisdom you have shared with us. Thanks, Kat, for joining us. Kultra, what are you doing for self-care this week? For self-care, I, um, I actually just got back from vacation. We did a lot of hiking and sightseeing and driving around um, and eating some really good food. So it was nice to get out of the office and just kind of focus back on what I really enjoy doing most, which is being outdoors. I'm going to hang out with some friends this weekend. Maybe just go to a restaurant or enjoy time outside. We hope you have gleamed your own little bit of hope today from our discussion. Thanks for stopping by. Take care. If you're in a position of privilege, Please use that to speak up and out and to make change. Be vocal and let LGBTQIA people know if you're a safe and supportive person in their life. There are really so many things that you can do as an individual and as an ally to make positive change. You matter and you can make a difference. <laughs>